Today, I want you to go with me to Joshua chapter 6. Um, this, for all of our home folk that have been around for a few years, this series will not be like the Leviticus series, um, which we did almost verse by verse. Uh, we'll be jumping around a couple places in Joshua. So today, we're in Joshua chapter 6. Uh, we're going to talk through um, the details of what happened uh, in the city of Jericho. It's the first conquered city inside of the promised land that God was bringing them to. And there's some encouragement for you and I about our spiritual journey that we can take from the actions and what we see God did in and through his people in Jericho for our spiritual journey today. So the title of my message is this, Overcoming Obstacles. How many of you have ever faced an obstacle that was insurmountable, larger, larger than life, couldn't figure out how to get around it? Only with God's help and his grace are we able to overcome obstacles. But Joshua 6 tells us about the battle that occurred at Jericho. It's interesting that we call it the Battle of Jericho uh, because no swords were drawn in order to start that battle or get that um, happening. If you've ever been in church or Sunday school before, you might be familiar with the story. But as I say, every time we talk about something that you've already heard about, you're not supposed to throw that information out, but you're supposed to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today through this? That's how we should pray when we come to God's word, whether it's in our private time or whether it's in church, when you're hearing a message, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now through this? Because God's word is a living thing. Amen. So the people of God had to decide whether they were going to continue the journey to where God wanted them to go, or if they were going to go backwards, as it were, because they have already complained. Just a few chapters, three chapters, in fact, into the book of Joshua, Moses has already died, and now they're traveling, and they're at the edge of the promised land, and the people have already been complaining the whole journey, and they're still complaining at the edge of the promised land, uh, thinking, you know, it would be better if we were back in Egypt as slaves. And we say, oh, shame on you. How many of you, we've read about Peter in the Bible? Oh, how dare him, a disciple of Jesus Christ, doubting. You know what? Don't get so high on the hog. Because <laughs> that's all of us would be guilty of the same thing. And so we point our fingers at the people of Israel. Say, how could they complain? God gave them bread. He gave them. How many of us have been guilty of complaining as well <laughs> and not being thankful and grateful. So I believe with all of my heart that God has put each one of us on this planet for a purpose. And I believe that he has a divine design for each one of us. So in moving from the place of slavery into the promised land, we have to follow his direction. And I think sometimes we don't think about it, but difficulties are going to arise, challenges are going to come, and obstacles that we think are insurmountable, that cannot be accomplished or uh, victored over, or we can't get victory over, we see those things and we, we are tempted to be knocked off course just simply because of those difficulties, challenges, or obstacles. But I think there are some lessons in the book of Joshua in chapter 6 today that we'll look at that help us overcome obstacles. Go with me to Joshua 6, verse 8 through 14. 
It says this, And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward. I don't read for dramatics or for emphasis at all times, but I want to tell you something important. If you race through your quiet time, you may skip what God is trying to tell you. So pay attention to the words that you hear today. It says that the people, the priests, bearing the trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward and they blew the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. Verse 9, the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. Verse 10, it says, but Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth. I don't know about you if you've thought about this, but how hard would that have been for a group, even just the size that we have in this room today, if I said, let's go outside and let's march around this building and no one say a peep. That means we're bringing babies, grandparents, everybody with us, and we're walking around. That would be almost an impossible task. There are thousands of them listening to Joshua when he commands them, don't shout, don't make your voice heard, don't let a word out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout Then you shall shout. Verse 11. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp, and they spent the night in the camp. Verse 12 says this. Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. Verse 14, And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. So there were some armed men in their group, but the priests of the Lord are the ones who are pretty much at the front lines. And then the Ark of the Covenant, which is God's symbol of his presence with his people, is being carried around the city. And they're not making a peep. They're they're not making a sound. I wanted to show you what an artist's rendering of what the city of Jericho looked like. So in this picture, I don't worry about trying to read the small text but there are many different uh, versions or uh, a variety of opinions out there. But the city of Jericho would have looked something like this. When it says that it was double-walled, it means, and you'll come across that in other places in Scripture, it literally means that there was an outer wall, there was a place in between, and then there was another wall. On the outskirts of the city, not the outside of any wall, but that thin little rim, you would have found places that would have been inns to stay in, a marketplace to shop, buy vegetables, fruit, whatever you had to buy. And then on the inside of the city, you would have found houses with courtyards, meeting places. In fact, archaeologists agree that Jericho, the city of Jericho, is the first fortified city known in human history. 
It was very well protected. And many consider it the first city because of its functionality. It had, it was right on the banks of the Jordan River. It had a water canal system that was in it. Archaeologists have discovered that it helped get water into all the places that people needed it throughout the city. It was a community that had stone foundations for their homes. They had bricks that built their homes. Um, the meeting place, the marketplace, all of that stuff inside of a city like this. So imagine, if you will, thousands, possibly in the million, a number of people crossing the river and seeing this city. Now, think about it like an Israelite. I want you to think about it like an Israelite this morning. God has said to you, I'm bringing you out of slavery in Egypt. You've been in this big city. You've been slaving away, building bricks and doing all these things. You've been working hard under these taskmasters. And I'm bringing you out into a promised land. And when he gets you to the river, you cross. The first thing you see is an insurmountable obstacle. I think sometimes our first thought and the first thought of them would have been, well, hallelujah. This is awesome. It's going to be green pastures, baby. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. I mean, I've heard some amazing things about it. So we think about the blessing side of overcoming an obstacle, but we don't think about the obstacle that comes along with the challenge or what God's promise says. The same is true for us today. We think, wow, it's great that God says in his word, he's going to give you peace. Well, why do you need peace because you're guaranteed to experience chaos in this life. But peace like a river, I just love it. I love the sound of it. It sounds beautiful. Well, the reason I need it is because of something not beautiful, something terrible that I'm going to need to experience his peace. The reason why he promises joy unspeakable is because you're going to be tempted to live a life of sadness, depression, a distorted perspective that is absent of joy. But he says in his presence, there's fullness of joy and there's peace forevermore. I want you to think about it. He says he'll give us joy because we need it in moments like that. Why does he promise us his presence? He promises us his presence because there'll be moments in your life, if you are more than a day old as a believer, there will be moments in your life that you feel like his presence is non-existent, like he is nowhere to be found. That's why he promises his presence to be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. So notice the text repeated the word continually, and it said that they continually blew the trumpets. It talks about that several different times. The first step I think that we can look at with Jericho and try to make a mirror for ourselves to look at the obstacles we face in our life The first step that they had to do, that they had to take in the conquering of the city, was taking the step of worship. In order to overcome any obstacle in your life, your first step is to worship God. 
And here's the thing. Worship does a lot of things. I don't know if you have a good voice or not. And honestly, I don't pay attention. If you're ever a little bit nervous, oh, pastor standing in front of me or beside me while we're singing, I don't care what you sound like. And I sure hope you don't care what I sound like. We care what they sound like, amen. And we're glad that we have gifted people up here on the stage that do this. But here's the thing. God deserves your worship, whether you give it to him or not, he deserves it. In fact, he says, if you don't worship, the rocks themselves, nature itself will cry out in worship to God. So don't stand here when we do our encore worship song at the end of this service today or when we start worship next Sunday, or when you're in the car this week traveling and you happen to hear some worship music, don't sit there like a lump on the log. I don't say that because I don't like looking at dead people, okay? I say that because God deserves worship. Worship is active. No, you don't have to be super extroverted. And I'm, it's great. I'm grateful for, for all the history of whatever denomination you come from. Presbyterian, Baptist, Lutheran, whatever. No hands, all hands, whatever it is that you came from. But let me just tell you, the Bible is full literally from the beginning to the end of our known history. And in all of eternity, it is the one thing that you will always do as a believer in Jesus Christ. You will worship him. And so it's, it's time for us to think about that when we need to overcome an obstacle. Our first act should be to worship. Although if you look at Genesis chapters one through three and you see the issues that happened with Adam and Eve and the fall of humanity, you'll notice that the first thing that happened was they created distance between themselves and God and they did not worship him as he should be worshiped. They didn't commune with him as he desires. I really truly believe that worship does a whole lot in the life of a believer. And I think it's a missing ingredient for many. Here are three things. It does a lot of things, but let me just give you these three. Worship honors God. He deserves all of our worship, all of our praise. I shouted like an idiot on Friday night, not in worship, but just in excitement for a football team. It's, my wife said it's true. I, she didn't sit next to me because I embarrassed her. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I just, I follow the ball. So I'm walking along the fence line following the plays. But I, I yell like an idiot. I'm honoring the team. I'm trying to encourage the team. Listen to me when we give our worship to God and don't come to me with the whole silent meditation thing, okay? That's not what we're talking about right now. I'm talking about trumpets blowing, people dancing. I'm talking about strange creatures in the book of Revelation that throw their crowns down and run back and get them again, pick them up and throw them down again because God, the creator of the universe, deserves your worship and he's honored by it I believe with all of my heart that he moves in an atmosphere of worship worship also helps focus helps me to focus on the solution um, a student at uh, the school that Amy teaches at this week um, she heard this story about one of the students in seventh grade 
he didn't know the answer to one of the questions on, I think it was a math test or an English test. Uh, it was not a Bible class, and he didn't know the answer, so he wrote down this cute little phrase on the blank. Jesus is always the answer. <laughs> so he, he was doing his best to try to get some credit. Okay, I said if I was the teacher, I wouldn't have given him any because the real answer would have been period, exclamation point, whatever it was supposed to be. But that teacher at least gave him half credit. I don't, I'm sure she's going to have a conversation with him and say, honey, you, you can't do that on every test. Okay, But that was cute. Okay, Here, let me tell you though, what he wrote is true. Jesus Christ is the solution that you need for your issue in your marriage, your issue on your job, your challenge that you face in your family, that person that you've been praying for that still hasn't come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the solution. So taking a moment to say, God, you're the solution helps me change my perspective from looking at the problem I'm facing and just staring at the walls of the city of Jericho like they were doing. And it helps me fix my eyes, turn my eyes toward Jesus and look at him because he's the one who can help me get to the place of a solution. When all seems lost and everything is hopeless, there is still God. Worship also keeps me alert to God's voice. I think this is very, very important. A lot of believers, and I've been in ministry for over 20 years at this point, in lead ministry like this, and there are people who always struggle, and they talk to me and they say, Pastor, I can't hear God's voice. It's been so long since I've heard his voice. I think one of the first questions I usually ask them, outside of what sin are you living in, <laughs> don't come to me and ask me that question today, okay? Uh, like, you know, about yourself, like, how do I hear the voice of God? Uh, because that's what I'll say, is what sin are you living in? Like, what, what law of God's are you violating? And then the second is this, when's the last time that you worshiped? When's the last time you got on the on your knees in your bedroom next to your bed or sat on the couch in a quiet moment with a cup of coffee while the kids were still sleeping or stayed up late and read through that devotional and allowed the Holy Spirit to speak? I'm telling you, worship keeps you alert to the voice of God. When I'm staying focused and like the priests and those who are traveling with the priests, when they continually blew the trap, and I'm imagining in my mind, you know, I don't know how many of you were ever in band and played a wind instrument, but um, blowing a trumpet continually is a challenge. So I'm assuming there was a whole bunch of them and they were taking shifts. That's what I'm thinking. But everybody was worshiping and it kept them alert. It kept them alert to God's voice. And God's voice specifically at that point was being used through the man, Joshua, to lead them into the promised land. So don't, don't, don't skip out on worship. Now, I'm not telling you, I say this again, I'm not telling you, come in here like a wild person next Sunday and be like, Pastor, I'm worshiping Jesus. You don't have to do that. But you do have to not look dead right? You do have to use your lips. It is great to close your eyes so you're not worried that, oh, she's looking at my dress. Yes, I wore this dress two weeks ago. You're not worried about that stuff, okay? You're just focused on him. And it's okay to raise your hands if you're physically able. Just this whole little thing right here of a posture of openness. God, I'm here. 
do whatever you want to in me. That's an amazing thing. There are so many activities in worship that we could talk about that is not the whole message today. Let me just encourage you this week in your car, in your quiet time, make time to worship the God of all creation who loves you, created you on purpose and wants to help you overcome the obstacle that you're facing. Keep reading in Joshua chapter six, verse 15 and 16. It says this, on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. Verse 16 says, and at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. I don't know about you, but it would have had to take a little bit more than the faith of a mustard seed in my heart to be an Israelite that day to shout for the Lord has given me the city. What do you mean? We've been walking around this town. (laughs) There's a couple guys up front with some weapons and we are carrying God around this town. (laughs) We've got priests blowing trumpets. How exactly is this going to happen? It took faith to believe that God was going to do what was promised. But here's what number two is. Number two is this. It's the simple word, obey. To overcome any obstacle in your life, you need to understand we have a responsibility to obey God's word. So they weren't to shout until they were told to. And um, I think we shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes. No, let me rephrase that. Oftentimes we shoot ourselves in the foot as it regards a situation or a problem that we're facing because we haven't consulted the word of God to know how to obey him. So this is a challenge for each of us to know that when a friend betrays our confidence, when somebody wrongs us, when we are holding on to unforgiveness towards someone because they've done something to us and we want to hold that hurt inside, when we have issues that we're facing a life-sized decision, when we have issues in our jobs, in our marriages, what does the word of God say about that thing? Seek it out. Find out what happened in the Old Testament. How did it take place in the New Testament? What exactly is the example that God has given me in order for me to follow when it comes to that? Listen, y'all, I've seen people in church act like they were filled with the devil when it came to conflict with one another and they never once consulted the word of God to see how they should handle conflict in the church. And there's first, second, third, and 44th, whatever, fill in the blank church down the street because they keep dividing instead of multiplying. My God, that's a good word for you today. Obey, obey his word. That's what we've got to do when we are facing an obstacle. Here's the thing that you don't want to do when you're facing an obstacle. You don't want to obey. No, here's what you want to do. You want to rub a lamp and have a genie come out and fix it all. 
But here's the thing. I've been saved longer than a day and I'm already out of my three wishes. So I've got to, I've got to look at God's word and I've got to see what he wants me to obey when I'm facing that obstacle. I think worship is a missing ingredient and I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that obedience is a missing ingredient in many believers' lives when we're facing obstacles that we know to be insurmountable. Um, and to overcome them, we've got to obey God's word. Amen? Are you with me? Okay. Chapter 6, verse 17 says this, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Uh, again, can you just take a second and think like an Israelite? I'm not superimposing just my thoughts on it. I'm thinking out loud of what it would have been like for God to have given me that beautiful city that I just looked at. And now an earthquake or some sort of supernatural thing has occurred. The shout, the voice of the trumpet, the walls came down. And now there are no walls. It's no longer a fortified city. You told us you were giving us this city. And now you say that everything is devoted to destruction. That means burn it all. God, what are you trying to do in the midst of this obstacle? That I'm facing. Look at what it says in the continues in verse 17. It says, Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Verse 18, but you keep yourselves away. That's really the intonation there. Keep yourselves away from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Listen to me, church. If you read further in the same book of Joshua, you will find tragedy strikes the Israelites because of somebody's sticky fingers and greedy paws took some of the things that belong to God. I've said before, and I really encourage you to think about the city of Jericho like this when it comes to our financial giving in the here and now in our lifetime today and how we honor God. Jericho was the first city of the promised land and it was a tithe unto God. Everything belonged to him in that city. And he chose to destroy those who lived there and all the things except for the silver and gold to take to the treasury of the house of the Lord. Continue reading. It says this, verse 19, but all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Verse 20, so the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, men and women, young and old, ox and sheep, donkeys with the edge of the sword. I don't have time today to expound on the understanding of the difference between murder and killing. But let me just tell you, you need to do some research. Our God is a God of justice and he wanted to pave the way in order to get the people into the promised land. He didn't want any stone unturned and he didn't want any loose ends. 
So he said, burn it all, get rid of it all, devote it all to destruction. The third point, the third step in order to overcome any obstacle is to know your enemy. You say, oh, I know him. <laughs> I surely know her. <laughs> I know who my enemy is. No, your enemy's not your boss. It's not your spouse. There's a different enemy that I'm talking about. We read through there very quickly, but if you paid attention in verse 17, it says Rahab, the prostitute who hid the spies, she's the only one, she and her family are the only ones who survived. Spies were sent into the city in order to perform some reconnaissance and go through and try to figure out, like really, hey, uh, let me put it to you like this. God can tell you the plan, but he oftentimes wants you to develop a strategy of action for yourself. So Joshua was intelligent. They sent spies in to make sure, hey, let me look around. Let's see what we've got to handle, and then we'll go from there. Here's the thing. Many of us have an enemy in our life. In fact, all of us have an enemy in our life that we faced a time or two before. And the Bible tells us that enemy is not of flesh and of blood. In fact, it says in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus himself said, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus then declares, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Your enemy is a spiritual enemy, not a flesh and blood. Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6. Don't get out of Joshua chapter 6. Stay there. Just read on the screen with me. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, you know it probably well. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, cosmic powers over this present age or darkness. It says against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. You say, well, pastor, is, is, the, is the devil using my boss? It's possible. <laughs> you say, well, I, I married her and uh, not that she's the boss. Well, you know what I'm saying. I was, I was moving analogies into spouse, okay? I married her. How could the devil be using her? How could the devil be using him? Listen, what the Bible is telling you is true, that there is an enemy that's seeking to steal, to kill, to devour. He is on the prowl 24-7 looking for what he can accomplish and how he can get the people of God off course from the purpose and the design that God put them there for. And he'll do anything and use anyone to be able to get his purpose accomplished. And it is weak believers that have been used without even the knowledge of being used by the enemy against one another. You say, Pastor, you're preaching hard about that. Is there something going on in the church? No, <laughs> I don't preach that way. 
I preach God's word, the message that I have for you today. There's no internal fight right now, anything going on. But you better remember this message when the temptation comes. Amen? Because the enemy wants to use weak believers. He does it all the time, actually. I would say he he loves to use weak believers, maybe even more than sinners. He probably gets a whole lot of joy out of that, seeing the destruction, the internal destruction of the kingdom of God. Don't you be part of it. Don't you be part of it. So your enemy's not your boss or your spouse. It's a spiritual battle that we're engaged in as believers. And we've got to stand strong against the enemy. We're going to skip some of the details about Rahab. Listen to me. Read this chapter this week. There are verses in the rest of chapter 6 that talk about Rahab's salvation and her adoption into the family of God as a Gentile and as a chief among sinners. In fact, if we're to understand correctly the genealogy that's listed in the book of Matthew, Rahab was a relative of your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's amazing when you consider it. Go to the last verse of chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Verse 27, it says this. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Now, I know Joshua didn't do this for the fame. I know he did it because he responded to the command of the Lord. And I, and I understand what the biblical writer is trying to get at. The Lord was with Joshua, Joshua. That's the big detail to get. And word spread about what God had done in the city of Jericho. And it caused the enemies and the other places to start to think, oh my, the Israelites are on their way. They're shaking in their boots thinking about this. It caused fear to go into the heart of the enemy. When God gives you a victory in the here and now, it strikes fear in the heart of the enemy in order for him to throw other obstacles in our way. So here's what the fourth thing is. To overcome any obstacle in your life, you've got to trust God. The, the only way that you can overcome the obstacle is to trust God. Trust in his love for you. Trust that he will carry you through. I, um, I've been thinking about this recently after our testimony service from several weeks ago. And thank you, sweetheart, for sharing your testimony today. I think for us as believers, it's easy because we get spiritual amnesia. Since that testimony service, I've, tr- I've tried to log. I've tried to track what God has done. And I have a note in my phone of the things that God has done for me and for my family just since that time. And you know what? I start my devotional time by looking at that note. And it only covers three weeks. And there are like nine or 10 things on there that God has done supernaturally outside of anything that I could have imagined or thought that he has blessed me and my family in ways that I I can't get into to talk about all today because it would be a whole nother service. But I'm telling you, spiritual amnesia is what we all face 
We forget how good God was. That's why we have to worship and sing songs that his praise will ever be on my lips. How will his praise be on my lips if I've forgotten all that he's done? If you read through the Old Testament and as they traveled through and they're in the promised land, there are many times where they built an altar before the Lord. And then it said of those places that those altars were altars of remembrance so that literally... When you and your grandchildren pass this place 20 years from now and they say, Papa, what's that there for? You can say, this is the place that God delivered his people. You can tell it to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. So remembering, taking a moment to remember, remember what God has done helps me to trust him in the here and now. He has never forsaken me. And he won't start now. I'm preaching to myself and it sounds good this morning. Amen. Purposefully remind yourself of the goodness of God. Don't listen to the enemy who says, well, you know, he didn't come through like you thought he would. Yeah, well, you know what? But he did all the other thousands of times and I'm still standing on the promise of God today waiting for his healing, his salvation for my family, whatever the case may be. You tell the enemy, shut up, and you remind your own self. I love what the psalmist says when he talks like that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Forget not all his benefits. Don't you forget what he's done. He's been good to you, better to you than you deserve. Amen. I hope you've received some encouragement today for your journey. The walls of Jericho were an insurmountable obstacle for the people of Israel. It was extremely, probably, uh, the temptation was extremely large to disbelieve God, to not Uh, believe that he was going to come through. They didn't know all the details of how he was going to pull it off. There were probably moments of chaos and confusion and doubt, but God still won the victory. And I believe with all of my heart, God wants to win a victory in your life. I don't know if it's your marriage, your career, your finances, your health, Uh, even in your walk of faith, maybe you're facing an obstacle. But I want to tell you this today, By the spirit of the living God, victory is closer than you think. It's closer than you think, but you've got some part to play. You've got a role to play. You've got to worship God. You've got to obey him. You've got to know your enemy and you've got to trust him for the outcome. Trust God for the outcome. Would you stand with me today? The word of God encourages us in Romans chapter 8. Verse 28, it says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I have something to tell you today that resonates in my heart and it lifted me from a place that was about here to about here this week when I realized the truth of it. And that is this. God hasn't called you this far to make a fool out of you. Imagine being an Israelite at the walls of Jericho 
and thinking, oh my word, I sure hope he comes through. Listen, the name of God is at stake in your own life. When people know that you're a believer and that you're walking for him, they know that about him, that he says he's always got the victory and they're watching to see. So there's more of a vested interest in this than just your finances working out or your marriage getting to a a better place or your boss, whatever the case may be. Any of those issues or a, a health crisis, whatever it may be, God has not called you this far to make a fool out of you or to let you fail. The victory is just on the other side of this giant, insurmountable, larger than life obstacle that you face. And if you worship God and trust him and obey him, I promise you victory is sure. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak as he's already been doing in the service, but I believe he wants you to take one of these things and make a commitment today. Maybe you say, Pastor, it's my challenge has been worship or Pastor, my, my challenge has been obedience. Then while the worship team plays this song of an encore, I want to encourage you to commit that thing to the Lord. Holy Spirit, speak now to your church, to each one of us individually. Convict our hearts of the areas that we need to adjust. And Lord, help us to have encouragement for this journey. Lord, we're confident that you have never been defeated and you will not start now. So God, let faith rise in this room today. I pray faith would rise in this place greater than the seed of a mustard plant. God, I pray for healing. Lord, just as the testimony was shared earlier, God, that healing would take place, whether it's physical or spiritual, whether it's relational. God, I pray today that walls would come down. And Lord, that you would help us as we face these obstacles.